Good morning. Welcome to Rimrock Church. So blessed to have everybody here today. And uh, this is my first time of being back inside after the, uh, the beautiful times we shared outside in the meadow. That was incredible. So we're going to start lifting up the name of Jesus together. If you join us. And uh, Nick's going to be preaching today on Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And uh, so we're doing some songs tied into that. And this one's called Blessed Is He. Lord, we come 
seated you guys coming up who's coming up yeah you're up come on should do something Latin oh well
So good morning. It's a, it's a privilege to welcome back our friend, uh, good friend, Pastor Jose from Costa Rica, although he's no longer pastoring a traditional church, and he's no longer in Costa Rica. But he, he's moved on to Brazil and is doing missions work there. And so we want to welcome him back, and also two of our new Brazilian friends, Pepe, Pedro Paulo, and Lili from Brazil. So... So I'm going to try to translate for him as he tells you what's going on, some of the cool things that are going on in Brazil right now. So if we can give a, yeah, we'll give that one to him. He doesn't need one. His voice carries, but. Here comes one. Es una alegría siempre poder estar aquí, dar un, una saludación a cada uno de ustedes. Fue ya tres años que la gente no conseguía venir aquí. Mas siempre es una alegría cuando vimos para Estados Unidos poder venir aquí a nuestra familia de Rimrock. Y hoy quiero presentar a dos amigos y compañeros de ministerio en Brasil. I want to present to you two of our um, friends from Brazil that come alongside us in ministry. Y ellos van a dar un hoy para ustedes. And they're going to... Buen día a todos. Good morning, everybody. Estoy muy feliz de estar aquí con ustedes. We're all happy to be here with you. Ya tuve el placer de conocer algunas de las... Mulheres aqui numa caminhada. Oh, he's ar she's already had the pleasure of meeting a few of the women that went on a hike together this yeah. week. Yeah. E já conheci alguns lugares muito lindos. Estou muito feliz de estar nesse lugar. Yeah, so they've seen a lot of beautiful places since they've been here. Amém. Que Deus abençoe vocês. Obrigado pela pelo acolhimento de vocês. God bless you all. Okay. Bom dia. Good morning. É uma alegria para mim estar aqui também. Also, Me sinto honrado poder estar nessa nação tão abençoada. Honrado. Poder acompanhar meu, meu amigo José. To be able to come José my a esposa mais feliz da Terra. The, the most, the woman in the world. Uma alegria. Deus abençoe vocês. God bless you. E sejam bem-vindos ao Brasil. And you're all welcome to come visit us in Brazil. Amém. Amen. Já temos de 16, 20 anos de caminhar juntos. We've been we've been walking together now for close to 20 years. E sempre tem sido uma alegria todo o trabalho que podemos fazer para o reino de Deus. And we just love being able to work together for the kingdom of God. Agora que estamos trabalhando em Brasil, eh, hemos mudado um pouco o processo de discipulado. Now that we're we're in Brazil, working in Brazil, things have changed a little bit. The change, the the method of discipling. Quando fui a Brasil era para trabalhar com igrejas e pastores, só que Deus mudou o processo. So when I when I traveled to Brazil to start working with the pastors and leaders there, 
God changed things, made things different, changed things. Y comenzamos a trabajar con empresas. And we began to actually work with businesses. Comenzamos a ganar muchos empresarios para el Señor. A lot of businessmen turned uh, turned their lives over to Christ. Y estamos usando las empresas como si fuesen iglesias. And the businesses are actually being used like churches now. Son como esa empresa que vos se ve allí, que es una empresa de reciclaje. So this business you see up on the screen is actually a recycling business. El hombre se convirtió al Señor. The man, the the owner of the business, uh, committed his life to Christ. También su familia. And also his family. Y ahí pedimos para él si podíamos entrar en su empresa para presentar el evangelio. So we asked him if we could enter his business um, to present the gospel. Él le pensó que era una locura. He thought, well, that's crazy. Pues vamos a intentar. Well, let's give it, a, let's give it a go. Y así comenzó un proceso. And that's how the process began. Son 65 socios. ¿Cuántos 65? 65 employees. Y todos hoy ya son cristianos. And all of them are now Christians. Next, next slide. Y podemos ver ahí los procesos de estudio. And we, and so that's the, the, the processes of. Is Ken up there? It's okay. That's right. All right okay. <laughs> so then this is shows some of the. Um, the studies that are taking place with some of those employees. Y ahora no solamente esos 65 socios, sino que ahora también estamos alcanzando todas sus familias. So we're not just taking care of those 65 employees, but now their families are getting involved as well. En esta misma empresa estamos dando entrenamiento administrativo para ellos también. So we're also giving them administrative uh, training as well. Y también ya hicimos el primer retiro de matrimonios. And we've actually had a marriage retreat for some of the couples. Y ya vamos a comenzar a trabajar con las familias y los jóvenes. And now we're also going to start working with the families and the and the youth of that group. Of, this is all business people in the employees. Usando la misma estructura de empresa. Using the same structure of the business. Es una iglesia dentro de una empresa. It's a it's a church within a business. Y todas esas empresas que usted puede olear ahí en las fotografías. And all of these other businesses that you're going to see come up on the screen. Hoy estamos en seis diferentes empresas. We're actually now in six different businesses doing the same thing. Y podemos decir que son seis diferentes plantaciones de iglesias. So we can actually say that there are six different church plants going on. Y estamos viendo la transformación de muchas vidas. And we're seeing transformation of lots of lives. Dios trayendo una restauración en muchas familias. God's restoring lots of families. Y una de las cosas que el Señor nos tiene enseñado. And one of the things that, that He teaches us is es que todos somos ministros de reconciliación is that we're all ministers of reconciliation y no importa la esfera donde actuemos no importa la esfera la esfera de vida donde actuemos it doesn't matter what you come from what station you come from puede ser en un trabajo puede ser en un estudio puede ser en cualquier lugar it can be at your work it can be at, at, um, your, at, at home ahí tenemos que ser luz we, de Cristo no matter where that is we, we need to be the light of Christ y todos estos procesos que hemos feito and all of these processes that we've been involved in is blessing lots and lots of people. So we love being able to share that with you this morning. Because a lot of that work is because of the support and work that you've done behind the scenes for us. But primarily through your prayers. We need one, and one another Y Dios nos está ayudando para trabajar ya de una manera maravillosa. And God's enabling us to accomplish great things. 
en algunas empresas de estas estamos envolvidas más de 250 personas and there've been actually in all these different six businesses we're talking about 250 different people that are involved y así podemos ir falando de las diferentes empresas and that's how we're able to gain entry to new ones new businesses they come along y no podemos continuar más porque precisamos preparar más líderes aún and we actually at a stopping point because we now need more leaders to be able to continue on with the training and take care of all these new converts y damos gracias a dios por eso que nos ha permitido hacer todo esto but we give thanks to god for opening those doors pedimos sus oraciones para mi familia mi vida y para todo el equipo de increce we, we continue continue to ask for your prayers as we go forward with this ministry muchas gracias y buen día thanks and good day Oh, Lord, we just lift that ministry up to you, God. We praise you and thank you for the way you've blessed in Brazil there, God, and how you love all peoples. And we pray for our own nation, God, that you would uh, just fall on our nation, start with us in this room, God, and change the world for yourself, for your glory. I just want to briefly ask you guys to pray for our friend Dorcas. She has been so precious and she is pregnant. And so we're asking for prayers. She's had six miscarriages. And so this is the longest she's carried a baby. And I didn't say that, share that to embarrass her, but to just say, would you please pray for Dorcas and her baby? Amen. Let's do this. Come on.
For the King of Kings, I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ His Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe
believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the for us, that you rose again, and now, Holy Spirit, you live within us. Every one of us who has surrendered our lives to you, God, we thank you for the privilege of being your children. And as your children, God, we need to learn from you. We need to hear your voice, Holy Spirit. Would you speak through Nick this morning? God, give him the words to say, but give us ears to hear. We ask it in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you open them up or turn them on to Mark chapter 11? So Tom alluded to it earlier, but today the, the passage that we're going to focus in on is the triumphal entry. Uh, we have visions of, of Palm Sunday. If you grew up in the church, you've seen this narrative before. You've seen uh, the pictures of Jesus riding on a donkey. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit today and, and talk through what we, what we learn of God and what's really going on here as it applies to our lives as well. Um, setting the context, I really see this moment in the gospel of Mark as a pivot point, one where we have seen Jesus begin to gather disciples and followers, and throughout the book of Mark and the other gospels as well, that Jesus is beginning to proclaim uh, new principles. He's proclaiming and teaching in the synagogues, and he's teaching out in the fields, and he's speaking of the things of God. Many are similar and uphold and are coming to fruition, a lot of the Old Testament law, but then there's also some things that are confusing for people. There's things that are different than tradition, and so he's gathering followers by his teaching, but, but more than that, he's gathering followers by what he's doing. So we've seen him express divine power over nature, whether it's calming seas. He's expressed divine power over demonic influence, and he's freeing people from bondage, uh, from demonized influence. We're seeing him heal people of disease, from blindness to paralysis to sickness and hemorrhaging. And so all throughout this time, Jesus is ministering to the masses as he is proclaiming uh, to be something a little different than just a prophet. As he is establishing himself as more than a man, 
but God. And so people are gathering and, and rumors are, as you would imagine, if things like this took place, uh, things are, uh, the word is spreading that there is a, a man who is acting similar to some Old Testament prophets, similar to some teachers and religious leaders, but he's doing so much more. And he's doing it with perfection and power, and he's welcoming people that typically aren't welcomed in this type of setting, sinners and tax collectors. And he's got a group of kind of vagabond um, fishermen and, and nomads, those who don't necessarily have a lot going for them uh, by the way of the world. And he's inviting women in close to his ministry, which typically didn't happen in this day and age. And so rumors are starting, and people are saying, perhaps this could be the Messiah, by people, predominantly the Jews in Israel, who have been waiting for Messiah, Savior, uh, King, Rescuer for their people. And all growing up, these, these boys and girls would have heard of this Messiah to come. And in the context of this story uh, that we're going to focus in on today, as Jesus was going along and ministering and doing these things, you'll remember if you've been here uh, in the last few months that many times he does something incredible, and then he says what? say nothing. Or he'll, he'll heal someone and he'll tell them to kind of keep private about it. Most of the time they didn't listen. But even with his close disciples, when he's asking them, who do you say I am? And they are proclaiming that you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. Come to save us. He would say, rightly do you say, but keep it quiet. And now all of a sudden we turn to Mark 11 and Jesus is now making something very, very public. And he's, he's provoking, in some ways he's picking a fight, uh, but he's provoking action on all of the people around him where he is declaring, as I've gone about, ministered to the individual, preached to the masses. At this point, he's entering the city of Jerusalem, the epicenter of this place, the epicenter of, of, of the religion, uh, and he's making declaration that is going to require and start to put some things in place that we know leads to his crucifixion. So if you would turn to Mark 11, we'll pick up in the text. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter into it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. All right, so Jesus has been in the hill country, he's been in some of the other villages, and he's starting to make his way to Jerusalem, and Bethany and, and Bethage is, is just a few miles outside of the city, Jerusalem, with all of its walls, and kind of, again, the, the epicenter of, of this area. If you'll remember, Jericho is perhaps 15 to 20 miles outside, so as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, we'll, we'll hear some stories, we know some stories of him raising Lazarus from the dead. And so Bethany is a place where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. And so Jesus is staying at their home, we discover, in other um, parts of the Gospels. In fact, the triumphal entry is in every one of the Gospels. And so we give, get little, slightly more details in different books of the Gospel. 
So it's very likely that as Jesus has told his followers that I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles, Rome, uh, the Roman authorities, I'm going to be crucified, die, and then rise again. And if you remember, most of the time when he is unpacking this very clearly, they all kind of look a little bit confused, and then they go on to ask another question like, okay, that's great, who's going to be greatest here? Right? And so each time that Jesus is proclaiming and preaching, they love being a part of some grandeur. They love being a part of people being healed. They love being a part of these victories. But every time he talks of, of suffering, every time he talks of becoming least in order to become greatest, every time he speaks in ways that would be different than a, a rescuer, you see these moments of confusion, and then they just kind of go on with their lives. And so at this stage, he is entering into Jerusalem, but there's a good chance he's kind of going back to um, the place he's staying, uh, his, his friend's house in Bethany. And so everybody's kind of riled up about the excitement of Jesus finally entering to Jerusalem. And we get more of that as we keep reading. So they brought the cult to Jesus, and uh, chapter, verse 7. And they brought the cult to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the field. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of David our father. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and he looked around at everything. It was already late in the evening, and he went back out to Bethany with the twelve. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your presence here now. And as we have sung, as, as we have prayed, uh, whether corporately or in the back rooms or on the drive up, God, we are desperate for your Spirit's intervention in our life. We are desperate for you to reveal yourself in truth and in power and in glory. And we come before you expecting you to do that because your word has declared it is your delight that you long for us to know you. And so just like thousands of years ago as Jesus entered into Jerusalem to make himself known and to bring us to himself, you're doing that now. And so we just honor you, we acknowledge that, and we ask your protection, your leading, and your blessing. Amen. Okay, so what's going on here in the triumphal entry? Well, many times, this is basically homage to a king, where this idea of a king riding into a city is often what would take place uh, to anoint a king, or basically this, this royal procession declaring that this individual riding on a horse or a donkey is a king. And many times in, in ancient, um, the ancient world, when a king was riding into battle or riding into war, they would ride a horse. And there's often times that a king would ride a donkey during times of peace. So this takes place in various books of the Old Testament, 2 Samuel and in Judges. And when uh, a man named Jehu in 2 Kings was anointed king of Israel, very, very similar scene where he was riding a donkey. And then you get this, this practice of people laying their cloaks and branches before him and even on the colt is, again, just paying homage to one that they are declaring king. 
So what we get here is Jesus giving command to his disciples that I am going to enter Jerusalem now at this point as king. Yet, I'm going to enter it on a donkey, in some ways possibly declaring some element of peace. And as Pastor Jose and friends came up, we see, we read in 2 Corinthians that God has given us the, the ministry of reconciliation. So Jesus is giving these little indicators and little hints that God is about reconciling. Uh, but at the same time, a donkey, and it talks about in Luke, is a, um, an animal of burden. So it's an animal that carries pack. It's an animal uh, very common in Israel. And so at the same time, he's, he's entering it humble uh, on this animal that is known to carry burdens. Which again, this side of the story, we probably recognize what Jesus is talking about. But at this point, many of his followers are confused. The other thing Jesus is doing is he's, he's stepping right into Old Testament prophecy. Uh, Zechariah 9 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And verse 10 talks about, so this we get this picture of righteous reign and rule. But then we get this picture here. It says, I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem. So he's going to make rid of them. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. And his rule shall be from sea to sea, and river to river, to the ends of the earth. So we get this picture of peace coming. But remember, during this time, Israel's history has been slavery from Egypt. Sorry, slavery in Egypt. And now they're under oppression in Rome. And so much... Uh, hardship has come to the people of God, and, and not just, you think about being a slave and having tough conditions is difficult, but now that they're under Roman rule, they haven't had total freedom to structure their lives like they would wish. So even, even religiously, they haven't had complete freedom to worship God the exact way that they want, to influence their families with the freedoms and the way that they want. And so there's been a lot of oppression and bondage, and a lot of it has been in the name of, of pagan religions. So they recognize that in some ways they're on the right side, but yet they've been stifled. And so I think we would be just like them if we had this opportunity for someone to come and free us politically from the bondage that has kind of hindered us, uh, caused struggle not allow us to do all the things we want to do with our families in the name of Yahweh, in the name of God, uh, we would long for that political freedom, wouldn't we? And so they start to see, not just tension build, but they start to see momentum build in this person, this rabbi, Jesus, and so they are loving being on the right side, and they cannot wait now to enter into Jerusalem and it begins. The revolt takes place, and their conquering king comes and saves them, and they can now usher in many, many good things into their society. But what we read is Jesus enters into Jerusalem as they're crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, God, we pray. So it's a, a, a declaration of praise. It comes from a Hebrew word that means save us now. 
Um, so they're looking for immediate uh, rescue from what they would say is, is political and cultural oppression. And then this is what happens. And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything and it was late, he went back out to Bethany. Think about what must have been taking place with them. Hosanna, Hosanna, here we come, here we come. Jesus scopes around the surroundings. Other places talk about this is when he laments over Jerusalem and cries. And then he goes back out and takes a nap. And everyone around here is very, very confused about what is going on. Everyone except Jesus. Jesus, and I think the the writers want us to know, so as we know the story, Jesus is getting ready to provoke all the things that would lead up to his death, where throughout this week, this is Passover. And so Passover is a huge celebratory time. Jerusalem is crawling with activity. Uh, There's people all over the place who have come a long ways away. And so you got some people who are probably there hosting family and hosting friends and trying to prepare for the very practical you got other people who are preparing uh, to cleanse themselves, uh, the religious activity as they're going in to celebrate the Passover meal. And so there is a week-long group of activities, and Jesus marches right into this space where the town is filled, not just with Jews, but there's Roman authorities over there, as you would imagine. They're the authority, and you got a whole group of people coming into their city. Uh, other places in, in Luke uh, in John... It says that the the Greeks are seeking Jesus out, predominantly, at least initially, because he's raising people from the dead, and he's doing some pretty amazing things. So all of a sudden, you have all kinds of people who are looking to Jesus, and he is timing some things out perfectly to ensure that they do not miss what he is declaring and who he is declaring to be. And so the Passover, if you will remember... Uh, was first initiated, and it's a celebration and a reminder of when the Hebrew people were enslaved and in bondage to Egypt. And so God declares that he wants to use Moses and Aaron to bring freedom to the people that they may worship him, that they may come back into the original design of worshiping God. And again, the ten plagues take place, right? And what's the last plague? that because Pharaoh and Egypt would not release God's people, the judgment of God, the angel of death, God would come and and pass through that place and every house that did not have a sacrificial lamb, blood spread over the doorway, the oldest child, the identity and the future of that family would die. And so at that point, God gives this strong instruction to all of his people who would listen to him, sacrifice a lamb, pure, innocent, spread the blood over the door, and the judgment, the just judgment of God will pass over you, and you will live. And so they celebrate this every year with huge festivity and with huge um, sincerity, that there is very strict ways to do this. And so people would come from all over the place and prepare themselves with a defined structure in order to enter into worship of God. 
And so Jesus is timing all of this for a very specific reason. And so the next day, Ben will get into this next week, but Jesus goes into the temple. First day he looks and he sees what's going on. He goes into the temple and he sees all kinds of religious activity. But what is it? It's, it's buying and selling of sacrificial animals. It's taking advantage of people. It is creating all kinds of uh, economic influence and all kinds of power plays. And the whole thing might on one level look good because there's a lot of religious activity going on. But what Jesus does is he enters into that temple with tons and tons of people and really goes rogue and starts driving out moneylenders, starts turning tables over and says, this is my house. And it is a house of prayer to commune with God. So he immediately is showing people, I am not here to offer just another group of religious beliefs that some of you might rally around and stack hands on to busy your life trying to yet again appease God, get authority for yourself and take advantage of other people. He's making very clear that what I'm about to establish, the kingdom that I'm about, is very different than this man-made religion and man's effort to try to just glorify themselves and, and busy one another to look and feel good about themselves. And so Jesus is beginning to start. He goes throughout the whole week and he's teaching in the synagogues. And each time he's teaching in the synagogues, more and more the Pharisees and the religious leaders are set and determined to kill him. And so Jesus is not a helpless victim of a group of powerful people. And whether it's the author Mark or other places in um, John and Luke and Matthew, there's these little moments where you see Jesus execute his sovereign power when he says, hey, there's going to be a donkey. This is what's going to happen. Go say the Lord needs of it, and they're going to do it. He says, I can't wait to celebrate the Passover meal. How will we know where to do this? going to Jerusalem, there's going to be a man carrying water. You can see how he, over and over, he's predicting things that are taking place, but he's also executing them very, very specifically. So when everybody has on their mind the deliverance of God because of a sacrificial lamb way back when, he brings them front and center and says, yep, all of those things that you're celebrating, all of those things, the reason you're trying to cleanse yourself, those things are coming to coming true in who I am and what I'm about to do. So the timing for Jews and Gentiles and anyone who would watch is perfect for Jesus Christ declaring that I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. But the problem is their expectation of him delivering them politically and culturally, they totally lost that he was determined to free them spiritually first. Before he could free them politically, he had to take care of what main problem? Their sin. And for us, it's the same question all throughout the gospel is, what will I do with Jesus? When he says, before any of the enemies around you need dealt with, I need to deal with the enemy that's within you. 
I need to deal with the reality that you have defied God, that you have set yourself up against God as his enemy, that you have declared that you will do things your way. And there's no way, even though maybe if Jesus entered into political power with his disciples, they may have been better rulers than who was in place. They had more morality. Uh, but yet still, give only a matter of time, and what do you suppose would have happened to the disciples? I'll tell you what. On the way here, they said, hey, who's going to be greatest? They would have got power hungry. They would have took advantage of each other and other people, just like you and I. Because until that evil is pulled from us, it's just a different face but the same story. And so as soon as they realized that God... Jesus is not fulfilling their expectation and their agenda. The same group of people that are crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, praise God, praise the king. Uh, here's my coat, ride on it. Six days later, what are, they, what are they crying out? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. How is that possible? When I look at our lives, when I look at our culture, I see something pretty similar. That I'm all about God, and I'm, I'm willing to play Christian and come to church if God continues to bless and get in line with the things that I think are good and right. Whether it's praying for that spouse, or whether it's having a healthy baby, or whether it's putting my man in the White House. All of these things that are big and national or all these things that are deeply personal. If God lines up with my expectations, we're, we're good to yell, praise God, praise God, praise God. But how many people have you seen that wear a Christian badge and as soon as something doesn't quite go their way, as soon as something doesn't quite line up with their expectation, they pull away from God or they deny God or they resent God. And in some ways declare, crucify, crucify, crucify. Why? Because I think I know better than God. And when he's not lining up with my agenda, there's hell to pay. And we forget the goodness of God and the perfection of God and the heart of God. And we forget the first thing that needs to take place is for us to recognize, I am not qualified to be God over you or over my own life. And so the story of the gospel that John the Baptist ushered in, that Jesus' disciples and Jesus himself continued to start with is what? Repentance and forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness. The story of the triumphal entry, I really think, is a story of contrast. It's a king riding in on a donkey. It's a, a rescuer, a savior, first declares the only way to enter glory is to die first. And this is right in line with what Jesus has continued to preach, continued to proclaim, and the thing that we continue to turn the other way and the disciples continue to be confused about. But it honestly is the same story that says, yes, the kingdom is coming, and yes, your glory is coming. But first, a lamb has to be slain. 
And so the contrast is the lion and the lamb. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 5. And this is where we believe John is getting a vision. And he's writing all these things down. And we've, you've heard this before if you've been here. It's very, very powerful. I'm going to bounce through the first part of, of chapter 5. It says, Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed. And a strong angel proclaimed with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to look into it. And I began to weep because no one was found worthy. And one of the elders said, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the seven seals. So this picture is the lion representation of royalty and conquering and power and strength in total control. But as we read further, and this is the, the throne of the universe... It says, In between the throne, the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Further on, as they're declaring, they say, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the lamb that he might reign in glory forever and ever. So still today, but when I was young, guess which animal I was drawn to more, the lion or the lamb? I love being a part of the lion. I wanted to be associated with that. That's strength. That's victory. That's power. And then I just hear of the lamb and, okay. But as you begin to understand, glory only comes when the bad stuff dies. As you begin to understand that you are desperate and in need and he is your only hope, that's when the lamb becomes so beautiful. Because you recognize there's no way we reign. There's no way we rule. There's no way we have security and influence and righteous power if it weren't for the slain lamb. Where I needed to realize I had to be associated with the death. I had to be united with the sacrifice because I was so wrong in here. So if that didn't happen, we never get true freedom. And in Jerusalem thousands of years ago, that's what Jesus Christ is bringing before the people. He's saying, first thing that has to take place for you to be saved from what? From the wrath of God. You think about if you're one who is unsure what to do with God. If you're one who, in some ways, God has let you down, and the only way God lets you down is if you think you know better. But I get it. There's a lot of things in our life that don't quite go right. And what if your life right now, what if it is going okay? What if it is good enough? Where maybe you're not on the crowd yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise him, save us, here's the Savior. But maybe you're not in the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. What if you're just one of the quiet ones? Because life is good enough. And what if the circumstances of your life are pretty good right now? 
But what if the reality is you truly still stand as an enemy of God? What if you truly are still against the creator of all of this? The one who designed you? The one who is keeping you alive right now? What if as it stands, you still are underneath his wrath? Because scripture says that's what we're saved from. The wrath that I deserved as I set myself while I was enemy, at that time Christ died, to make me right with God. I think that's why on the throne of the universe there is one who looks like a sacrificed lamb because that was totally necessary for me to move from bondage, to move from oppression, to move from slavery to freedom, to be reconciled, made right with God so that we may carry on in the ministry of reconciliation and continue to proclaim after being abandoned and after going to the cross alone, after taking on my sin, and then after the resurrection where he says, just like you associate with the slain lamb, you also associate with the risen king, with the risen lion. And I want to usher you into my kingdom that will reign forever and ever. But for now, there needs to be a dying. Colossians says that just as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. So the first question, and the question that I think Jesus brought front and center to all the people in Jerusalem was what are you going to do with me? I'm declaring to be the Messiah, the Savior that you desperately need. Are you going to recognize your need? What are you going to do with me? And so the first question is, have you received Jesus? Have you come to recognize your depravity, your hopelessness, your state before the living God? And have you come to recognize his mercy and his grace and his goodness that says, I'll take your death so that you might have my life? And many of you have heard this story. You have full confidence that you are saved from the wrath of God because of the grace of Jesus. And my challenge to you and my reminder to me is as I received him, so walk in him. Totally humble, totally thankful, totally desperate, and totally accepting that he knows better than I in every single situation. And by his grace and his mercy, he has placed me here to further his kingdom, to go into places like the fields, to go into cities like Jericho, to go into temple, and to continue to proclaim that I am underneath my Father, and the Spirit is within me to proclaim Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Praise God that everything in his sanctuary would declare glory to him. And guess what? His sanctuary is not just within these walls, right? His sanctuary is here and here, and here, so that everything in our life might declare God is worthy to be praised in this life and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, you have filled creation with moments and shadows and pictures and stories of the gospel message. That in fact, all of it in one way or another, I believe is designed, if we have eyes to see, uh, 
of the glory of God and the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. And I'm so thankful for even just this, this narrative that you have brought to Jews and Gentiles, Greeks and Romans, around and in Jerusalem. And you brought it for our benefit and to speak to us as well. That we can recognize that you are sovereign over all of history. And your purpose is to show us to yourself so that we might come unto you, partner in covenant with you, be united with you in your plans. We love you and we praise you and just keep us, keep us humble. Keep us thankful and come get your glory. Amen.
God bless you. Be sure to come join us uh, for small group Bible studies on Wednesday night and a meal together. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next Sunday. Two, three, four.